family thing. I mean, it's, it's a family thing, isn't it? Uh, Genesis 40. Good morning. We finally made it to the 40th chapter of Genesis with this man called Joseph. I love to study the people that are in the Bible because their lives share so much for what my life can be with or without God. And that's what we're going to talk about today. It's uh, very impactful to see what happens with these folks. Joseph and Daniel, other than Jesus, were probably only two of the men who really not much fault could be found with them. They have a lot of good that's said about them in the Word. had a brother that asked me the other day. He said, have you ever heard of anything wrong about Joseph? I've heard teachers talk and say that they've not found anything with Joseph's life that was amiss. And I said, in the digging that I've done, I've found a small thing. And you know what? That small thing is going to be what we're going to study about today. We're going to talk about a little chink that came in the armor and what happened with that. But I'm going to tell you what, we don't even recognize it as a fault because you and I practice this same thing all the time. So we don't even think of it really as a little bit of a fault because I, I constantly do it as well. But before we begin, let's go to our Father in prayer. We'll have a moment of silent prayer so that you can clear your thoughts, clear your minds, get ready to absorb the Word of God, and then I'll close this out. Father, thank you for this day and thank you for the safety that you provided for our community. After all the storms were over and the debris was taken up, the only things that was lost was power for a little bit, but people were safe and we pray thanking you for your hand of protection that shielded us. Father, today this lesson has slapped me between the eyes. I pray that You would open the hearts and the minds and the eyes and the ears of the people who will hear this message. I can only hope and pray that it has such a profound effect upon their life as it does on mine. In the realization of what happens if I trust in you or if I don't trust in you. Father be with us as we study your word. May we be challenged by it in Jesus name. Amen. All right, for those who haven't uh, had an opportunity to have been with us for a little while, we've been studying Joseph. This is now the fifth lesson, and we've seen him all away from his brothers not liking him and throwing him into captivity in a cistern, and then they sold him to the Ishmaelites, and the Midianite trucking company took him off to Egypt. He gets to Egypt, and it says that he got sold into the hand of Potiphar. And we found out it said that he was the captain of the guard. But he's really homeland security, FBI, CIA, wrapped up into one man. He is the power of the system. He is the prison warden. He's the executioner. He's the one that runs the police state. Joseph goes into his hands. And what he starts to find out is, is that 
this man talks about his Hebrew God. And he seems to be blessing him. So he would give him some more responsibility and he would get blessed some more. And by association with Joseph, he was blessed by that association. And so he finally turned everything in his household over to him. And he went fishing every day. Only thing it says that he worried about, the fishing's my part. The only thing it says that he worried about was what he was going to eat. And that was it. Because this man was being blessed by his God and was blessing him. But then his wife had been taking notice too. And we saw that she wanted him and that whenever he refused her advances, that she got upset. She took away his second coat of authority. And... She used that to paint the picture of truth, which was a lie that said that he had tried to force his way on her. We found out that Potiphar didn't think correctly. He allowed his emotions to get control of him rather than rational thought. If you're the head of the FBI, you know how to investigate. You've handled this many times and you know how to interrogate, how to talk to people, how to find the truth. But his emotions spurred him on to do nothing but to throw him in prison without any recourse that Joseph could have. But it said five times in that chapter, God was with him. God was blessing him. God was protecting him and brought him to the top, even in the prison. And last week we saw that a couple more people came into, the, to our, uh, into our view. There was the cupbearer and there was the baker and these guys... Some insurrection was going on and Pharaoh threw them in prison with Joseph also. And he's down there, he's ministering to them. He has been told that he is their servant. And so these men now who are the other high-ranking officials in the community, this is the number two and three men underneath Pharaoh themselves. And they are there, they're powerful, but now they're under investigation. They have a dream one night. And this dream tears them up. And Joseph comes in to minister and he can see that they're sad. He can see that something's going on. He says, what's the problem? Tell me if you want. He was checking their volition. He said, interpretations belong to God. And so he was offering them help if they would accept it. And we saw that that was a big thing. That you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make it drink. They have to have their own choice, their own volition before they can receive help. And so he said, if you tell me, an interpretation then will belong to God. And the cupbearer starts off and he gives good news, doesn't he? He gives him the dream and he says, Joseph says, man, in in three days you're going to be back beside Pharaoh. the, The baker, he then gets up the courage and he says, okay, I want to learn about what this dream is. And then he tells the baker his, and it wasn't good news. And we found out that you got to level with people. The good with the bad, but the truth has to be told. they got to know the truth. If you don't tell them the truth when they leave, they're just as bad off as before. And we also saw that if he would have not told them the truth, then what would have happened in three days when Pharaoh does call him up and he restores the cupbearer, but he takes the life of the baker. He would have said, you lied to me. You didn't tell the truth. And so then when the crisis is going to get ready to hit, the the cupbearer would not stick his neck out 
for Joseph to interpret the dream of Pharaoh because he said, you only batted 500. You told me mine, but you lied to him, so I don't know what I'm going to get. And the crisis would have hit, and the people would have died. And so that's kind of where we're at now, but here's the little mistake that Joseph did. We read it last week, but I didn't cover it because I wanted to save it for this week. I wanted to be able to expound upon it. So if you've got your Bibles open, and you're at uh, Genesis chapter 40, I want you to look down there at verse 14 for a minute. It says that after he had interpreted the dream to the cupbearer, and the cupbearer said, I'm going to squeeze out the grapes into the cup, and I'm going to hand it to Pharaoh's hand. When Joseph realized this was the word of God, and that God was getting ready to put this man back to his place with Pharaoh, with kingdom, power, and connections. Look at what he says, verse 14. When all goes well with you, remember me, show me kindness, mention me to Pharaoh, get me out of this prison. I was forcefully carried off away from the land of the Hebrews, And even here, I have done nothing to deserve being put in prison. You see what he's doing? Me, 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 I, I. He's starting to place his trust in a man instead of God. He's grown impatient with God helping him out in his life, in the situation that he's in in prison. And now he's saying, oh, Here's a guy that's getting ready to have connections. He's getting ready to go back to Pharaoh, back to power. And all of a sudden, he turns away from God to handle his problem, and he turns to a person. How many times have I done that? I want to tell somebody. I'm at work, and things are going, what do you do? You go, and you've got to tell somebody and see what they think, see if they back you up. Who should I turn to in every situation? To God. And you know what? This is going to be so profound here that I hope that that I can capture this for you and share it with you. He said, tell the king. Tell him about me. Get me out of this prison. I was put here wrongly. I have done nothing to be here. There's the chink in his armor. For a moment, he's actually taking it off. And he is giving his trust over to a cupbearer and to Pharaoh. Up till now, Joseph has followed a couple of my favorite promises of God to stand upon. Next slide, guys. Isaiah 26, 3 and 4. Absolutely one of my favorites to go along with Romans 8, which we've been stomping on all the way through this, how that... God is able to work all things for good in my life. Isaiah 26, 3 and 4 says, uh, Thou shalt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusts in thee. Trust ye in the Lord forever, for in the Lord Jehovah is everlasting strength. Perfect peace is the Hebrew word shalom doubled. It's thou shall keep a person in shalom, shalom. Perfect peace. Why? Because his mind is stayed on thee. He trusts in thee. So trust in the Lord forever. Why? Because in him 
in the Lord Jehovah is everlasting strength. Don't put your faith in flesh. Don't put your faith in weakness. Put your faith in God who is everlasting strength. And then the second promise that I like to stand upon is 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 7. Cast all your cares upon him because he cares about you. Pharaoh doesn't care about Joseph. He doesn't even know who he is. He has no bond with him. The cupbearer doesn't care about Joseph. Guess what? We're going to find out in a minute. He forgets him. God never forgets you. Place your trust in him. Cast your cares upon him because he cares for you. Now we're going to find out something. What happens when Joseph turns away from God for a moment and starts to reach for flesh and starts to reach for power and prominence and what he can see instead of what he can't see? I'm going to go to uh, Jeremiah chapter 17, verses 5 through 8. This is one of the most powerful scriptures in the Word of God, giving us life. This is a decree on, do you want to be happy, or do you want to be miserable for the rest of your life? This right here. Read it there with me. It's up on the board. This is what the Lord says. Cursed is the one who trusts in man, who draws strength from mere flesh whose heart turns away from the Lord. That person will be like a bush in the wastelands. They will not see prosperity when it comes. They will dwell in parched places of the desert, in a salt land where no one lives. But, blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in Him, They will be like a tree planted beside the water that sends out its roots out to the stream. It does not fear when the heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in the year of drought and never fails to be bearing fruit. That is powerful. That is a contrast of two different situations for our life. So, it begins, this is what the Lord says. The King James Version would say, Thus saith the Lord. And I like that. I like the power behind it. What it means is, when it says, Thus saith the Lord, it means pick up your ears and pay attention because I'm about to give you something That means something. I am about to deliver something to you. That can mean all the difference in the world to your life. If you will listen to what I have to say. And he says this. Cursed is the one who trusts in man. Cursed is a divine proclamation of disaster. God is saying, this is my establishment. Cursed will be the person who trusts in man and not in me. That means that some adversity, 
some kind of calamity, some kind of doom, some kind of miserableness will be upon you if you turn your back on me. He says, who draws their strength from mere flesh. Let me ask you, in reality, who can help you in your life? Who could help Joseph get out of prison? Cupbearer or God? Who is able to deliver you? Who is more strength, mere flesh or El Shaddai, God supreme, most powerful? God can. So he says, why then would you even begin to turn away from me and to trust in flesh? That is weakness. I am strength. And he says, you will be then cursed. Why? It continues. Because your heart turned away from me. You cannot serve two masters. You're going to love one and hate the other. You're going to view one and turn your back to the other. And he says, when you do that, you begin to dry up. Look what he continues to go on with, with this divine cursing, or thus saith the Lord. He says in verse 6, that person, now we're getting personal, that person who would do this will be like a bush in the wastelands. The word for wasteland is a desert plain. Let me ask you, what is a bush in a wasteland? Have you ever seen the old western movies? It's a tumbleweed, isn't it? What is a tumbleweed? Instability. Blowing around, it's dried up, it has no life, it has no joy, it has no happiness. It's dried up and every little problem, every little wind will blow you around wherever it goes because you have no roots anywhere. You have lost your roots and you are going to be blown around like a tumbleweed. You've given your heart over to something else and you've become dried shriveled up and you lose away from the ground that was supporting you which is God and he says this is a divine curse that begins to happen this is my proclamation oh and God isn't done just yet with the cursing is he if we look back at our text it says that that person is like a tumbling weed in the desert they cannot see prosperity when it comes in a moment Pharaoh is going to be panic in the palace He can't see the prosperity that he has because he's troubled. That is a life that is living without God in it. You will not be able to recognize good things around you, the blessings that he has given you, because you are agitated and turned up in turmoil over the surroundings. Your circumstances, your environment is dictating what you feel and what your happiness is instead of your mind, as Isaiah 26 said, being stayed on God and stayed on Him, then you would find perfect peace. It means your, your frame of values are way off. You can't see what He is actually trying to provide for you. And it says, this is a desert place and this is not one of the good ends of the Bible. It says, not only are you a tumbleweed in a desert, In a dry land, it says, and a salt land where there is no habitation. Folks, that is steep. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be that person. 
that is really, you know what an uninhabited salt land is? There's one in the Bible. It's called the Dead Sea. It's an uninhabited salt land. You know what it was before it was a Dead Sea? Do you know what the Dead Sea was 4,000 some years ago? It was a fertile crescent land that was the most fertile land there was. It was the land where Abraham and Lot were there with their multitude of cattle. And you remember the servants began to fight there. That's in Genesis chapter 13 and verse 10. And it says that the servants began to fight and Lot and Abraham looked around and Abraham said, we need to separate. We're, we're kinfolk, we're brothers. Let's separate, go in peace. Which way do you want to go? And he gave Lot the choice and it says he looked to the east and he saw the fertile plains there that was all green with growth and everything was good. And he says, I want to go there towards the land of Sodom and Gomorrah. Did you know that Sodom and Gomorrah and the plain there was the most fertile land in that area? But what did Sodom and Gomorrah do? They turned their back on God, didn't they? They started walking away and they began drying up. It stood now as a monument to us for something bad. Moses writes about this fertile plain and what happened to it in Deuteronomy 29 and 23 up there on the board. It says that that whole land was like a burning waste of salt and sulfur. We didn't get that in the Genesis account about the salt, did we? He waits until the Deuteronomy account to tell us about the salt that is there. He said that it's a salt land, nothing planted, sprouting, growing. There's no vegetation there at all. It will be like the destruction when you turn away from me of Sodom and Gomorrah and of the cities of Admah and Zeboiim, because there was five cities of the plain right there that was destroyed. And the Lord overthrew them in a fierce anger. It's a wasteland, desert. Salt, sulfur. Jeremiah 17, our text, describes a land like that as the person who trusts in man and not as God. It used to be a watered plain, it says, like the garden of God. And this is what it's become. Come here, buddy. It used to be like the Garden of God, but now it stands as a monument, as a curse. Just like another thing that happened there, Lot's wife. Do you remember her? Jesus did. It was the truth, wasn't it? Because Jesus remembered it and he quoted it in Luke 17, 32 and 33. He said, don't turn your back and look. Remember Lot's wife who turned into a pillar of salt. Those who try to keep my, this life, he says, will lose it. She looked back when she was told not to. Second Peter 2, 6 tells us this, and this is a powerful statement. It says that God condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah by burning them to ashes, made them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. That city... 4,000 years ago that was so green and fertile now stands for 4,000 years as a monument to what happens to the ungodly. They become a salt, dried up land where nothing is. Verse 7 though, 
Look at verse 7. The buts of the Bible. How many times have we said that this, that we love the buts of the Bible? It's a conjunction of contrast. If you don't want to be like that, then take notice of what happens next. Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord. That's the exact opposite of cursed, isn't it? To be blessed. And he says, the one who puts their trust in me, whose confidence and whose hope is in him. Happy and content is what the word blessed means. Instead of being stirred up and in turmoil, you will be happy and contentment and security in Jehovah God. That's a complete distinction. But you know what the difference is where that resides? Right here. How many times have we been saying throughout the course of the last eight months, you are what you think? Your happiness is located right here on what you think and who you put your trust in. Joseph, most of the time, was happy. He was okay. He was doing good. God was blessing him. Why? The environment didn't matter. The poorness didn't matter. The imprisonment didn't matter. But his mind was stayed on God, so he had perfect peace. He had what nobody else in that land hardly had, even though he had nothing. So this is a divine decree of thus saith the Lord. Look at verse 8. That person then is going to be like the tree that's planted by a river of water. That sounds like Psalm 1 that we had a couple of weeks ago, doesn't it? Psalm 1 and this both describe the person that places their trust in God. It says, you will be like a tree by water that sends out its roots by a stream. And that's the opposite of a tumbling weed. A tumbling weed has no root, no water. We said water is an analogy for the word of God. Without the word of God, you're dried up. With the word of God, growing up like a tree, you get rooted. You get planted. You get stability. You are no longer tossed around by thoughts, by emotions, by trials and troubles in life. And verse 8 then continues. It says, Your leaves will always be green. You have no worries in the year of drought. And you will never fail to bear fruit. What a difference it makes of where you place your trust and who you keep your mind on. Do I want to be a tumbling weed or a tree? Do I want to be a dry, arid, scorched place? Or do I want to be by the side of living water in the shade of the tree? Do I want to have roots or no roots? That's what this is all about. Do I want to be alive and to be vibrant and happy because of my frame of reference? Or do I want to be miserable and tossed about because of my frame of reference? It says in the last part of that, it says, In a salt land, up there in verse 6, where no one lives. That word for lives There's eight words in the Hebrew language about living or dwelling someplace. Eight different kinds. Because you can come to a place just to visit and stay for a night or two. You can come to a place and be invited to stay for a while. There's all kinds. You can live in happiness and contentment. This word means that without God... The place that you inhabit in your mind is one where it says no one lives. And that word means to dwell in happiness and contentment because God is with you and develops that. And it says you will never dwell there if you don't trust in me. 
your mind will never have that happiness and contentment that it has. And it says in the time, in the year of drought, and it's actually years in the original. You know what that is? It's not an hour. It's not a day or a month. It's not a short time of trouble and trial in a life. It's an extended period of time. It says even in an extended period. Joseph has been 11 years right now in prison and in bondage and in bad things happening. So it's been an extended drought that he's been in. But he's happy and content because he trusts in God. Now, let's uh, go back to uh, Genesis 40 if you've got your Bibles there. Genesis 40. That sets the stage for what Joseph is about to see right now. That was Joseph. He had been trusting in God. He had been the tree planted by the stream of life. But all of a sudden, he now trusts in Pharaoh and a cupbearer. Remember me. Show me kindness, he said in verse 14. Mention me to Pharaoh. You know what happened whenever he did that? Look down at verse 20. The third day, all the things that he said came true. It was Pharaoh's birthday. He gave a great feast for all the officials. He lifted up the heads of the cupbearer and the chief baker in the presence of his officials. He restored the chief cupbearer back to his original position. He once again put the cup into Pharaoh's hand. But, verse 22, he impaled the chief baker on a pole, just as Joseph had said to them in his interpretation. Now look at verse 23. The chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. Can you believe that? Everything happened exactly the way Joseph interpreted a dream. He gets called out of prison. He gets to be put back to the beside the king and to be in the palace and to serve him. The greatest thing that has just happened in his life, and are you kidding me, he forgot him? No. This is a divine forgetfulness. This is an Alzheimer's. This is because God said no. You know what? You just turned your back on me. Let me ask you a question. What would have happened if the cupbearer had immediately got out of prison and said, Oh, king, hey, by the way, this Hebrew guy, he, he interpreted our dreams, said this was going to happen. He wants you to get him out of prison. And if they had pulled Joseph up out of the hole then, who would Joseph give credit to for everything that's happening now? Pharaoh, cupbearer, man, mere flesh. So God is going to have to work the flesh, the mere man part, out of him. He's going to have to shake that out and keep him back in prison long enough so that he realizes it's God who's going to take care of him and not a human being. That's the only chink in the armor is when he began to turn away and trust in something else and cast his mind toward that way. It says, he did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. How long is it going to take to shake all of that out of Joseph? Look at the next chapter as we start it. Chapter 41, verse 1. When two full years had passed, Pharaoh had a dream. Wow. Two full years. For two solid years, God had to put him in time out. He had to say, okay, back to square one. We're going to give you another course on trusting me. And for 10,000 times a day, he had to write, I will trust in God, not in man. 
And by the time two years come up, he was now mature. He was now back to trusting God and realizing that the cupbearer, that Pharaoh has no part in this, but it's going to be God. And you know why God had to do that? Because who is going to help in the crisis? God is preparing a crisis like he did with David and Goliath for a man who was getting ready to arrive on the scene, and that's Joseph. Joseph has to be so, like Jeremiah 17, rooted and grounded in the Word of God and in God and his roots running deep to the stream and being nourished by that and a giant tree that's not shaken by the winds like we just had this week. And he is not going to be shaken. He's not going to give allegiance to Pharaoh because if he had got him out, his allegiance was there and not God now. He would owe him. God had to take the time to shake all of that out of him and put him there and it cost him two years. But oh, what a good two years it was because now God has prepared the man for the crisis and he's ready for the dream that's about ready to come. If Joseph had of any inkling it was Pharaoh, he would have failed in this. And he would have to give in to whatever Pharaoh's desires were going forward in this crisis. But now he doesn't have to. So let's take up in verse 2 then of chapter 41. This dream that Pharaoh has. He saw out of the river seven cows. Sleek and fat and big. And they were grazing among the reeds. After them came seven other cows. And they were ugly and gaunt and skinny. And the cows that were ugly and gaunt ate up the seven sleek and fat cows. And Pharaoh woke up. It had troubled him. But he fell asleep again. And this time he had a second dream. Seven heads of grain, healthy and good, were growing on a single stalk. After them came seven other heads of grain that sprouted. These were thin and they were gaunt. They were scorched by the east wind. And these thin heads of grain swallowed up the seven healthy full heads, and Pharaoh woke up again. And it says in verse 8, In the morning his mind was troubled. He sent for all of the magicians, for all of the wise men of Egypt. He told them their dream. But guess what? No one could interpret the dream. Because there's one who is that he's just been preparing for. Pharaoh has a dream, and it says his mind is troubled. I know Tanya knows what this is because she just got back from fishing. You ever seen a boat and you fire that motor up and take off what that propeller does to the water? That's what this word means on troubled. Only instead of a propeller, it means an impeller. If you've got a washing machine and you've ever watched that thing on the inside, <clears throat> do you know what they call that? Agitator. <laughs> it's the agitator. That's the word used here. Something is inside of Pharaoh agitating, agitating, propelling, stirring up. He can't sleep. You know why? It's a principle we've talked about before in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. It says in verse 14, A person who is not a Christian that does not have the Spirit of God cannot understand the Word of God because it is spiritually discerned. So it troubles them. They can't understand it. And he's agitated by this word because dreams at this time is the word of God coming to them. And they can't understand it. None of those magicians or those wise men because they are not filled with the spirit. Now, all of a sudden, the cupbearer, he's beginning to think, 
uh-oh, there's panic in the palace. Panic. Now, think about this. Who's Pharaoh? He is the number one powerful person in the world. Palaces, money, prestige, fame, power, number one. And yet, what's, what's his dwelling place like? He's agitated. There's panic in the palace. He's got something from this dream. Joseph's in prison and he's calm because of his state of mind. You can have, remember what that said in Jeremiah? You won't be able to see prosperity when it comes. He is in a palace surrounded by gold and servants and he is troubled and can't sleep and there's panic in the palace because he is stirred up by the word of God. Now all of a sudden the cupbearer reappears and he's like, uh-oh, I, sh- I forgot something two years ago that I should have told. I hope I don't get in trouble. <laughs> so look at what he says in verse 9. Uh, uh, oh, Pharaoh, today I am reminded of my shortcomings. He's hoping he doesn't go back to prison. I'm reminded there once was a time that you was angry with me and the baker, and you put us in prison, and each of us had a dream in the same night. And there was this young Hebrew there who interpreted our dreams to the T. It turned out exactly like he said it was going to do. Wow. He's, he's like, man, don't be mad at me. I, I've got a guy here for you now. So what do they do? It says they go, send hastily for Joseph. Go get this man. The king wants him. So they go. And we talked about how the word for dungeon there that he was in is like a cistern underground. It's a huge underground prison. Same thing that Daniel had with the lion's den. If you remember, they had them underground and a big stone is rolled over the top and they would take it off and toss it down. He's underground pit. He hasn't seen the light of day for years. It's been two years since the baker and the cupbearer left. He's not seen the light of day. He's not had a bath probably. He's had rotten food. He's not shaved, he's not had a haircut, he's got rags on. Can you imagine this guy as he gets out of there and the first time in two years he sees sunlight and he's blinking and they're saying, rush him to the Pharaoh, he wants him now, he's called for him hastily. Two years ago, if it had been the cupbearer telling him after that dream when Joseph asked him to, he'd have went running. And he'd have said, I can tell you the dream if you just let me free But what does he do now? He has learned in two years to be a mature person relying on God. If God wants me out of here, it's going to be him and not this Pharaoh. So he relaxes. You know what he tells him? He's been 13 years now. At this time, he's 13 years in Egypt and he knows their customs. From all of the archaeology, from all of the records, they were the most cleanest people of their time. They took up to six or seven baths a day, some of them. They had all those anointing oils that they would send for. This is a people who was, when it came to hygiene, was second to none in this time period. What do you think would happen if Joseph comes up after years in a dirty dungeon in rags and hair out to here and beard down to there? What do you think Pharaoh is going to do? Because they have their heads shaved and their faces shaved. He says, I'm not trusting in man. I'm trusting in God. And before I go to see him, I want a shave 
a haircut and a bath. Look at your scriptures there. That's what it says. He said, stop for a minute. I'm going to get some clothes. I'm going to get some, something on, done with this hair and this beard. And he cleaned himself up. You know why? Because one, he is filled with the Holy Spirit. Two, he knows the culture of these people. And he is going to be a representative of Jehovah God. And so he wants to make a good first impression because if he comes out looking like some woolly booger, he's not going to pay attention to him. He's going to look at him and go, ooh, why should I pay attention to this man? So he says, clean me up, put some clothes on me, and then I will go. So now they takes him there. He's a representative of God, and his first impression is going to matter. And he stands now before Pharaoh, and he says, I hear... That you can interpret dreams. Two years ago he would have said. Yes sir and I will do that for you for my freedom. Now he's got his mind stayed on thee it says. And so look at the first thing that Joseph does now. Instead of demanding his freedom like he wanted. What's the first thing that he does? He disagrees with Pharaoh. He absolutely disagrees. He said I heard you you can interpret dreams. He said nah. The actual Hebrew says not in me. It's not in me. And as I was sitting there thinking about that, I thought about that cupbearer. When Joseph says, not in me, and Pharaoh looks over at the cupbearer, like, thought you said he could. You imagine for a minute there how he's standing there shaking. What? And then he goes, no, but God can interpret your dream if you tell me. Oh, how he has grown in two years. How he has matured to trust in God and not in man to undo this. And then he says in verse 10, I cannot do it. It's not in me to interpret this. But God will give Pharaoh the answer that he desires. And he's come such a long way now. And he's going to, he leveled with the baker. The cupbearer knew it. He knew he could trust this man to give the right interpretation. And With all of this, I look at Joseph and I say, do I want to be a tumbling weed in a parched area and trust in man? Or do I want to trust in God in every situation, even when it looks like it's going against me in that circumstance? What do I want to be? Joseph now, he stands before Pharaoh. He's got himself cleaned up, but even the clothes on his back aren't his, are they? You talk about there's panic in the palace from a guy who has everything. And you've got a Hebrew slave who's in a different environment. No one knows who he is. No one loves him. No one cares about him. He's in prison. And even the clothes on his back, he doesn't have a girlfriend. He doesn't have a wife. He doesn't have a house. He doesn't have any of the things that we think are important in life. And look at him. He stands up there so calm. Because he's in, got his mind stayed on God and he just says, here's the interpretation that I'm going to give you. It's not in me, it's from God. And it makes such an impact. Our happiness is a figment of our imagination. What we want to make of it. You can be happy or you can be sad because it's all right here in our heads. As the worship team makes their way on back up and we get ready to close this out. Happiness is a state of mind. It's who you trust in. It's who you place your trust in. If you place it in man, I guarantee you, I know I'm talking from experience, you're going to be a tumbleweed. You're going to have problems. 
Joseph is a prime example here of the declaration of God in in Jeremiah 17 on whether you want happiness or whether you don't. I'm reminded by all of this because everybody here needed something interpreted. The cupbearer, the baker, needed the dream interpreted. Pharaoh needs his dream interpreted. I'm reminded in Acts chapter 8, God has been working on a eunuch who's from Ethiopia. He's been in a dry, arid place for a long time. He's a tumbling weed. He's just now went from Ethiopia to Jerusalem. Now he's going back to Ethiopia. But God's been working on him too. And now all of a sudden, the Spirit tells Philip, go and join yourself to this chariot. And as he does, he hears him reading the Bible. And it's out of Isaiah 53. And so Philip asks him and said, Hey, son... Do you understand what you're reading? He looks down and he says, How can I accept someone to tell me? Same thing that the baker, the cupbearer, and Pharaoh was asking. How can I accept someone should tell me? And it says that Philip opened up his mouth at that same scripture and taught unto him Jesus. And as they was driving along, evidently what he taught him talked about you could be in an arid, dry land But God will wash you clean and take your sins away. And they came to water and he said, Here is water. What hinders me of being baptized? And he says, If you believe in Jesus Christ as the Son of God, nothing does. And they stopped the chariot. They went down into the water. They were both baptized. Philip went off. The eunuch went on his way rejoicing. Now, what was his frame of mind now that he had learned the truth? He was happy. He went on his way rejoicing and trusting in God, not in man. He's no longer a tumbleweed wandering around in places. And I just say, how about us? It's our choice today on what we want to be, a tumbling weed or a tree planted by the river of water. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word and the profoundness it's had upon my thought process. And I pray, Father, that it it will have an effect upon others as well. And Father, be with each and every family represented here. And if there's somebody who has not yet named you as their God and trusted in thee, that they would come forward like the eunuch and to be baptized and wash away their sins and glorying and rejoicing in their way afterwards. And Father, for those of us who are already baptized into Christ and yet we, like Joseph, may have turned our back a little bit trusted in other things of life for happiness, for answers. Father, we pray that this will be a reminder to turn back to you and to trust only in you as we go through life and that we will be so much more content and happy. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.